This is an interview with um, Dr. Kate Parr at the Environmental Change Institute. Um, Kate is the Chapnell Fellow in African Ecology. So Kate, African Ecology is very broad. Can you tell us what aspects in particular you focus on? Yes, Debs, African Ecology is really broad. Um, the aspects I focus primarily on are on disturbance ecology, uh, relating to fires and also invasive species, and also invertebrate ecology, um, ants, spiders, termites, for instance. And where exactly does, do you carry out this research? Most of my work is carried out in southern Africa. So we're talking about the savannas in southern Africa, um, and I've had a large focus of my research in South Africa in the Kruger National Park. Uh, more, more recently, I've uh, started up new projects in Shishlui and Falozi Game Reserve in KwaZulu-Natal, also in South Africa. There's a popular perception that fire is a bad thing. Is this true? Yeah, you're right, Debs. The media um, often portrays fire as a really terrible thing, and you'll look at reports of fires um, in native bushland, and they'll often say that it was destroyed or devastated, all these terrible words that then the public picks up on, and, and people do genuinely see fire as, as not a particularly good thing. And that's the case even people that live in flammable environments, such as um, savannas or grasslands. But fire isn't necessarily always a bad thing. In the savannas where I work, fire is a frequent and widespread disturbance, and it occurs almost every year, at least some area in the savannas, as therefore a natural and integral part of these systems. And in fact, many ecosystems um, rely on fire as a disturbance, and they actually require it um, for these systems to, to be in their healthiest state. Fire can be used, um, is, is used widely, both in conservation management and um, with land managers, land managers in areas uh, such as savannas and grasslands. It's used to, for instance, control bush, uh, in case bushes, woody vegetation is encroaching on farmers' land, they'll often use fires to get rid of that so they've got um, a greater area for their cattle to graze, so it's, it's opening up their land. People will also use fire to remove dead grass from the year before. Um, what happens is in these environments where you've got a wet and a dry season, in the wet season you get this huge build-up of grass and in the dry season it just dries out and because the, the, it, there basically is no rain in the dry season it provides this huge flammable mass that can then burn and by burning it then allows the fresh new green grass to grow up through and so the farmers will use it to pr provide new graze for their cattle. So what exactly are you looking at in relation to fire? I'm most interested in how fire influences biodiversity. There are, um, while fire has been used extensively in um, land management areas and in biodiversity conservation areas, we actually understand remarkably little about what effect it has on biodiversity. So um, most of the work to date has focused on vegetation, quite probably because of the agricultural um, implications of, of fires, but I'm interested in how it affects fauna, so how does it burning affect the animals that use these areas? Um, and recently I got funding through the Rufford Small Grants and National Geographic for a project called Burning for Biodiversity. And what we want to do here is, using a range of animal groups, is just to assess how they respond to fire. The idea being that if we have a better understanding of how they respond, we can better inform conservation areas um, that use fire regularly in management, and they might be able to alter the way that they use their fire management. The project um, has four components to it. So the first one is this understanding how fire affects biodiversity, looking first of all at invertebrates. Secondly, what we'd like to do 
through that process is to be able to build up a better understanding of just what species occur in conservation areas, so therefore providing some kind of inventory to these reserves. This is particularly important for invertebrates because usually so little is known about them, though there's so many of them um, that most of these conservation areas don't even know what species occur in them. So not only will we have a better understanding of the biodiversity impacts, but we'll also have a better understanding of what species occur in these conservation areas. The third aspect of this project is a capacity building um, aim, and that is that we will provide training to people in conservation areas. So at the moment I'm working with um, a couple of people in South African national parks, um, a chap called Hendrik Sitole and a technician, Veli Mvlovu, who have been with me in the field, and as part of that, they're learning on the job as well. And the idea is then to increase the capacity within these conservation organisations. I also have two students in South Africa that are based at the University of Pretoria, and the idea is that through them working on this project, they're improving the capacity that South Africa has as a country to be able to manage its biodiversity um, to the best. And the fourth component of the project is that relating to education. Um, as we mentioned at the beginning, the public's perception of fire is really is that it's this terrible, terrible thing. And what we want to do is go to schools in the areas where I'm working, which is near Kruger National Park in South Africa, and go and talk to school children. So go and talk to the learners, along with Hendrik and Veli from Kruger Park, and just try and explain to them why fire is important and why it's important that we know what effect fire has. So sometimes fire can be absolutely essential for some plants and animals. So for instance, there are some plants that once they reach adult stage, they absolutely require fire to release their seeds, and then they can only go on to produce a next generation after the fire. fire. So therefore, fire is considered a really good thing for these plants. However, fire becomes a bad thing for these plants when it's too frequent. So fire has come along, seeds have been released and the new plants start growing. But then if the fire is too frequent and comes along and burns and kills those plants before they reach adulthood, they can't produce more seeds. And in that sense, fire can be a bad thing. And so a lot of fire researchers are looking at the frequency and the timing of fires as to see how important that should be, and particularly in conservation areas where you're particularly wanting to conserve these kind of plants, and to some degree other animals as well. Those things are very, very important. What causes these fires? Are they all man? Are they all triggered by by humans at some point, or do fires occur naturally? Fires do occur naturally through lightning. Um, these obviously would occur more at certain times of the year than others. They probably wouldn't be spread out throughout the year in most of these flammable environments. So, for instance, at the start of the wet season, um, before the, the rains quite often start, you'd get lots of lightning ignitions. Otherwise, fires were started by people. They'll be started in conservation areas by the managers in the reserves wanting to achieve a particular type of fire or to prevent large fires later in the dry season. Or they'll be started by land managers such as farmers who just want to clear away the dead grass. Um, and people have been lighting fires in Africa for more than 250,000 years. So essentially now for the plants and animals that we see in these areas, fire is natural whether it's through lightning or whether it's by people. 
Now, at the ECI, you're pretty well known as being an, the ant expert. Um, people are always coming and asking you about problems with ants in their gardens and things. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about this research and, and does this link in with your fire research and what exactly are you doing with ants? Yeah, you're right. Everyone tends to think that ants are terrible, pretty much a bit like fire. I seem to work on all these things that people don't like very much. Um, but ants are, are really, really important. They form a huge number of roles in the ecosystems. They involved in soil aeration, um, so the movement of the soil. They, um, many of them are seed dispersers. It's thought about uh, more than a third of herbaceous plants have their seeds dispersed just by ants. Many of them involved in nutrient cycling. Some of them are scavengers, some of them are predators. Many plants and animals have mutualistic relationships with ants as well. Um, so for instance, the plant might provide a house for the ant and in return the ants protect the plant, um, defend it and might all pour out if a herbivore comes along to try and eat it. So also ants are extremely abundant. So for instance, it's estimated that a third of terrestrial animal biomass on Earth is comprised of ants, which wow. is a huge amount. If you reckon about, it's about 10% up in Scandinavia and in the Brazilian rainforest, the biomass of ants exceeds terrestrial vertebrates by more than four times. So they're the kind of little critters that you really can't ignore. And they're great things to work on because not only do they look really cool and funky and sexy, but they're also very abundant, they're easy to collect, and they're relatively well known taxonomically, which is um, quite important to be, if you're working on invertebrates. So do you look particularly at anything that links together the fire aspect of your research and the ant aspect of your research? Yeah, indeed, when I first started working on ants and fire, I was, it was together. And in terms of looking at the impact of fire on biodiversity, I first did that using ants, and I still am doing that. And I'm interested in looking at how responses vary across a range of different ecosystems that burn to see whether we can make any generalizations and predictions about responses. So for instance, my work is obviously focused in Africa, but also I've worked in Australia, and this year I've got a student working in Greece who's been looking at the effects of the very big fires they had last year in 2007, um, just to ascertain in these different types of, of biomes and flammable environments, yeah, do ants respond in the same way? What we're finding is that in many of these systems, the ants are really very resilient, remarkably resilient to fire, and it's incredible that you can have um, a system that is almost totally changed. Trees are burnt down, the ground is totally blackened, there's absolutely no vegetation, and yet the ants are thriving. They don't seem to be negatively impacted really at all. Um, and it's quite the opposite of what our understanding or what, what the public's perception is of what the impacts of fire might be. So can you tell me specifically about some of your projects on ants? So apart from my work with fire and ants, um, I've got a couple of other projects that I'm really interested in. The first one relates to competition in ant assemblages. So I'm in really interested here in how assemblages are structured. What determines how many species you've got and how many there are and what their interactions are. And competition as a process is thought to be really important in ants. So who competes to get the resource and who actually wins in terms of getting a resource. The resource could be food, it could be a nesting site some species it could be a mate. For ants it's mostly food. And so I've been working on competition in ants, looking particularly how this process is influenced by changes in habitat structure. 
if you've got a very complex habitat, it's thought that the most dominant competitive ants, for instance, might not do so well. There's several reasons for this. One might be they take much longer to find their food, for instance. Um, secondly, it's, it's much harder for them to recruit lots of nestmates to get control of the food. There's many reasons um, that are potentially being put forward. So that's one area I'm looking at. And this project, looking at competition in ants, uh, has it's, it's, I'm doing that in collaboration with um, a colleague in Australia and Sweden. And the idea here is we're conducting um, a standardized experiment globally. So we started off doing this in Sweden. We've now conducted it in South Africa and Australia. And most recently, I had a student, again, conducting the same experiment in Whiteham Woods here in Oxfordshire. So it's looking at, again, whether these patterns that we're finding and, um, and the importance of competition is the same across areas in the world. I'm also really interested in invasive ant species. Um, invasive ants are considered perhaps among some of the worst invasive species on earth um, where they've been introduced there can be huge problems with them wiping out local ant assemblages wiping out other insects in the areas um, and just looking at what influences how successful ants can be and how likely they are to spread and their interactions with other plants and animals really interest me for instance, I was working in northern Australia in a small patch of monsoonal forest where um, one of the five worst invasive species, an ant called the African big-headed ant, had been introduced from Africa. And it has basically decimated the local ant populations. There are no native ants that can coexist, that can live with this ant. It's just totally taken over. It's everywhere in this forest. Um, and that's perhaps the most extreme example I've ever seen of, of the impact that these invasive ants can have. And so getting, I'm interested in getting managers, um, making them aware of these issues um, and being able to take action before these ants spread too far. So they do what kind of action can people take? Um, quite often in these areas, it, it depends on the size of the infestation. But if the infestation is relatively small and localised, um, people can use poison baits um, of ways of killing the ants. Um, this has actually been used successfully in another area in northern Australia where they actually managed to locally eradicate the African big-headed ant. And people are trying to do this at larger scales. In Brisbane in Australia, the fire, fire ants were introduced and they caused huge problems, not only to native plants and animals, but also to people, like really horrible stings and we're trying to eradicate them there at a very large scale across a big city. That is obviously much, mm. much harder. 